0: Hello and welcome to Lords of Gob-Town. My name is Josh. I'm a tabletop role-playing game creator and lifelong dungeon master. I'm currently working on publishing a setting where players assume the role of goblin slaves living in a dying human mining town. This podcast serves to work on themes and mechanics that will help players and dungeon masters get into the goblin spirit, as well as create unique and interesting options for play. And now that you know what this is all about, let's talk about some goblin shit on today's Lords of Gobtown. Hello everyone, welcome to the Resurrection of the Lords of Gobtown podcast. My name is Josh, I have been absent for quite a while. This is due to a couple of things. I've had uh, just some strange and wonderful things going on in my life which required a lot of attention and uh, quite frankly a part of the beginning of this podcast I want to address something that happened to me uh, since the last time I I put out a podcast I was really excited about everything and then I hit this brick wall I hit a I hit a rut uh, and I I had this strange feeling that I was not worthy of like working on this project it's a really there's a really heavy thing (laughs) to open my podcast with for me, anyway, but it was a. Uh, I had this moment, like, what What are you doing, dude? Why Why is this so important to you? And I, I know I talked before that I have this uh, this problem where I focus on things, and then I have a lot of abandoned hobbies that I've been very passionate about for a short time, and then I then I dodge. Uh, but I know this is different. I know that I have the most passion for this. But I think I just hit a a creative rut where I was looking at a lot of the uh, notes that I had and a lot of the things I was writing down. I'm very, very early in the process of creating this game. and i I sought out some advice from some people that i that I care about that are in the the game creation community, and I I asked a couple of questions about, you know, what what they value when they're looking at a system and what is important. You know, whether it's more important to start your own from scratch rule set the market is completely saturated with them. You can't you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody that also has a massive project going at the same time in the role-playing game community. And you know, that's daunting. And to look at, I'm, I'm not a professional writer. I'm not ai uh, have I've never done this before. And so I've, I got this crushing feeling that I am not the right size fish in this pond <laughs> and that, uh, you know, I, I felt it was really important to, to make something cool and unique. And I've lost sight entirely of why I started doing this in the first place. And that what I really wanted was to just to do it. I just wanted to do it. I have found myself in situations in my life where, for example, uh, one of my numerous hobbies that I was very impassioned with that I've I've since lost touch with was bow crafting. I, I wanted to create my own bow to shoot arrows with <laughs> because I was sitting there watching um, the Disney's Robin Hood cartoon with my daughter and this is before I had my second daughter, so I had a little bit more free time. But everybody kept shooting arrows at everything, and I, I always loved that. I always thought that that would be so fun to do. And uh, a friend of mine had had bought a bow online, and was like shooting at hay bales in his backyard. And I wanted that so bad. But I couldn't, at the time, we, we had no money, you know, nothing to speak of. And I, I could not justify to my wife, like, hey, I feel really passionate about buying buying a bow and arrow. Do you think that's a good idea? Because it would be, it would be an immediate no. <laughs> and she would be right. She would be totally right. And so I thought, you know, like, if, and I don't know if this is true or not, but if a Neolithic person could create such a tool or, or at least like a medieval person could create such a tool. Why, why can't I with all of my woodworking knowledge and uh, supplies and tools at my disposal? How, why couldn't I do it? And so I looked at a bunch of tutorials online and basically the long and short of it is that I, I worked really hard to create something and it worked. And I shot an arrow with it. And it felt amazing. But it felt amazing because I took something that I, that I liked, that I was passionate about, and I was looking within myself to say, is this something that I can do? Is this something I can actually go from start to finish on? And as soon as I did that, I could put it down. It no longer occupied my mind. It no longer, you know, not to sound like, (laughs) man, painy, but that tortured me because I couldn't have it. You know, it was something that I I couldn't really have unless I did it for myself and did it for very little money and (laughs) and did it, uh, much like this, I did on my lunch breaks at work I would, I would sit down with a, uh, a long oak stave and would shave it down with hand planers and did it all by hand and made an awesome English longbow. That was super fun. And then I made another bow after that. That was, uh, that I used, uh, it was kind of made out of wood and downhill skis, which, uh, was very fun and dangerous. But, uh, you know, I, I'd never been, I was not impassioned by using the bow and arrow to do anything really. I, I don't hunt. I don't enjoy that, you know, that hobby. I, what well, all I wanted to do was shoot at a target and I wasn't good at it, but I could do it. And I made a, a really strong bow that, you know, when I, when I brought my friends around or more more to the point that I that I went to my other friend's house that had a a bow that he had purchased and his hay bale and things like that we could both shoot at the hay bale and he tried out my bow and he was impressed he was like this is fun like that what a cool project man like I want one and that's all I needed to hear that's all I, I just needed that confirmation that like okay it wasn't such a stupid idea and it wasn't something that I felt like I'd wasted a bunch of time doing because it was something that ended up being fruitful because it, it meant something to me and it meant something to somebody else and it stroked my ego that I could do it and so I feel a lot of that same pressure with this with with building a role-playing game is that I don't I don't need to I don't need it to be my career I don't need it to be something that's monumental I don't need it to be revolutionary and to be you know something that uh has has never been seen or done before all i need is a cohesive rule set that i use at my table when i'm running my goblin game with my friends and we've we've played it we've done it i just am refining the rules for it i need to just sit down and print it so that i can see it on paper and with its many flaws and mistakes and give it out and just say here you go world (laughs) or or my four friends that care you know here you go I did it and one of the really cool things like I think the coolest thing about this journey that I'm on and something that made me come back and need to start doing this podcast again I'd strongly considered that I was a um, that I was a fraud in this, and that I should just stop. Uh, but w- when it boils down, the 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 what I mean the the coolest, absolute coolest thing about this journey for me, is that a few people have reached out to me about it. I've I had this uh the last time I I put out a podcast. Uh, the time between then and now, uh, we've gone through our Thanksgiving break. Christmas is around the corner, so that's a ton of pressure too. <laughs> but um, you know, we had family over to our new house, and people asked about, you know, what is what's the podcast about? Like, how do how do you do it? Um, what what I had to explain to my mom what they are first of all, what a podcast is, and then why I'm doing it and what's going on. And she she was ecstatic. She thought it was amazing. Um and I've had, you know, uh friends reach out to me and I I I would hope I'm not blowing him up, but um my buddy Scott who does our uh my intro and outro music, he doesn't do that intro and outro music. He made that music as you know, being inspired by our Gobtown game and setting. And allows me to use it on this podcast. I'm I'm not, you know, he doesn't make the music for me. (laughs) He he makes it and it's awesome. And I feel incredibly, um, uh, I don't want to say blessed, but I do feel blessed to be able to use it. I'm very grateful. Uh, to have it on the podcast and every time I listen to my episodes back to me when I hear that intro and outro music it makes me feel extra extra happy so on this episode I am uh, I'm using some new music by him um, which I'm very excited about he he pumps out amazingly fun and energetic music and there's a it's a big menagerie of different uh, musical styles, which I absolutely love. So sorry, Scott, I'm gushing all over, all over you about that. But hearing that our, our game and our setting is inspiring, is inspiring to me. Uh, and, uh, another thing that happened to me is one of my best friends from Sudden Valley. He was, uh, I just moved to a brand new town. I think I was 18 years old and, uh, my friend Trevor uh, was riding on a bus with me before we. This is before we were friends, and I was super nervous, <laughs> just sitting there with nothing to do. And this guy just reaches, like, looks over at me and is like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And I, in my mind, I immediately thought, like, "Oh no, this is a bus weirdo. <laughs> I'm gonna have to talk to this bus weirdo." But then a couple of his friends got on that also lived in the same, uh, in the same like kind of town. It's, it's like this little outside, we, we lived in this like little mountain outside community outside of, a another city, uh, it was a place called Sudden Valley in, uh, in Bellingham. And his other friends got on and they were all chatting and it just made me feel really welcome. And then I eventually grew to be, you know, friends with Trevor and friends with all his friends, and it, it turned my entire experience and life around at that point. So I was super grateful there. And tr- my friend Trevor reached out to me and said that his little brother John listens to the podcast that he had turned uh, his, his little brother onto this podcast. And uh, John, I remember, was uh, this super funny kid. And the last time I'd really ever, you know, spent any time over at their house, I think John was like maybe 10, (laughs) maybe. And I know he's an adult now. And John, if you're listening, thank you so much for saying what you did to your brother and having your brother reach out to me. Uh, That was the actual turning point for me to, to really buckle down and to sit down and get back on the airwaves. And to keep going on with uh with the podcast. So um John, if you're out there, thank you very much. That uh that was super inspiring to me uh to hear your words and to hear that you liked it and that you you were excited to to hear another episode. So no, I am not done. I've just taken a long break and uh I would love to I want to get back to this. So without further ado, I'd like to get into today's topic. And that is mini games. Mini games is a concept that has been around for a very, very long time. Uh, my most prevalent exposure to mini games came from playing video games, where um, the point of a mini game in the middle of a video game was to give a reason for the player to step outside of the game for a second to to do something. Uh, A little bit fun that provided some kind of reward structure and overall it's just a break away from the main game. Now a lot of times people would think like my game is pretty interesting like I don't need to break up the storyline with anything. And if that's true then you're doing a great job (laughs) first and foremost. If you can keep your players attention and keep the drama going and keep the tension going, then you've succeeded. You're doing an awesome job, but there's going to be parts of your campaign where things te- like seem to slog or slow down a little bit. And I know even while I'm writing my <laughs> RPG, I've found that there's parts that I'm slogging through where it's the, the, the spice of writing isn't good enough. It's not fun for me to sit down and figure out how movement in water works or <laughs> I'll, I'll go through a section of my, uh, of my writing and then I'll stop and I'll flip through some of the notes that I've taken on my phone, my little notepad on my phone and uh, throughout my days, sometimes I'll think up fun little games that I could add into an adventure. Something where uh, the players would be a little bit more invested in uh, a fun activity that isn't just talking to NPCs or combat or skill challenges. So this is where the concept of mini games really shines. You have... A plethora of reasons to throw them into your game. They could be, you know, simply the fact that the town that you're in is having a town fair. Or uh, there's like a carnival that's come into town. And this could be a way to have your characters be introduced to each other. Like maybe some of the characters at the table work. Setting up tents for the carnival and have traveled into a town where the other PCs live and this is your hook to get these people together that's that's a little bit different than you meet in a bar or a tavern and uh some ruffian slaps your ass or you know <laughs> whatever it happens to be like how you how you want to uh, have your characters meet it could be a fun plot hook for that um you could simply just use this to de-escalate a little bit of tension that's going on in your game setting where if things are feeling a little bit too serious or, uh, you know, you want to uh, to just take a step back from the tension of the main storyline to give players a chance to, you know, role play themselves in a different way. That can be really fun. Sometimes maintaining the attitude of what's going on in the setting is difficult because you're you're either constantly mad because the evil wizard has captured your wife or your unending hunt for the gnoll shaman that murdered your family. You know that can be stuff that's a little bit heavy to keep going with and tiresome to keep rolling with all of the time for your characters this is a way to kind of break them out of their uh their specific and or maybe chosen role play roles and then put them into a different mood so it's 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 here to change the mood of what's going on in the game and maybe just for a short while and that could be fine uh you could totally use mini games as a, a a plot hook um so when I think of, uh, you know, what you know, what is a minigame, it's basically, you know, a fun little distraction that has some sort of reward that takes a break from everything. Or it can be a way to draw characters towards something if there's nothing else going on. So like... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make another Boomer reference here. But uh, like in the movie Willow, where... You know, they have a town fair, basically. But what's really important to one of the characters in the setting is that they want to try to become the wizard's apprentice. And so maybe all of the characters are in on the game, but one of your players that's specifically bent towards, you know, that thing is getting either like little bonuses behind the scenes where they're surprised by. Uh, their mediocre roles are enough to beat somebody next to them, or to to put them further in line, and maybe that's, uh, you know, a good way to hook and steer them towards becoming, you know, the magician's apprentice, just like in in Willow. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe there's a traveling thieves guild that kind of wanders the countryside, hosting, you know, fun games and carnival distractions, while they're secretly robbing the town blind at night. And now you have a reason to have this interesting thing happen in your setting. The players come together. They do something fun for a minute that's outside of, you know, combat or uh, outside of their normal role play with NPCs. And they're doing something different. They're having a little bit of fun. There's, you know, there's always something interesting to do when there's... Mini games involved when there's a, when there's a traveling band of people that come out and make your life more interesting. That's that's their job. But what if these people are bad? And now after the games are done, everybody wakes up groggy the next day, a little bit hungover, maybe a little stuffed too full of uh, sleeping powder induced or <laughs> sleeping powder infused meat pies and. There's nothing but, you know, garbage on the ground and all the tents are gone. And uh, people wandering back to their homes are finding that their homes have been ransacked. And nobody knows how long they've been asleep. But some people have, you know, (laughs) stubble has grown. (laughs) People are stiff and sore from laying on the ground so long. Maybe they were down for days giving time for this, you know, thieves guild to escape. So it's it, it could be a fun plot hook like that where you have uh, you destroy tension by having mini games. You have competition between players, which doesn't normally happen. That's another facet of this that I think is you know interesting and dynamic. Is that you can pit players against each other in a fun way that's not detrimental to their characters. It's not uh, harmful, you know, in any way. It's just. It's just good fun. Things to consider when running mini games in your campaign, where uh, whether it be a uh, just a street competition, where some guy walks up and you know, in my setting it'd be you know some other goblin walks up to your party and he really likes your shoes and he decides I'll race you for your shoes and you look down at him and his feet are all knobbly and busted up. And, you know, you're, you say, you know, what, what's in it for me? And he produces some trinket that's of no use to him, but he really needs your shoes. And so it's a good, good way to trade that, have a competition. Maybe you lose your shoes and don't get the trinket. The trinket's not going to be game breaking. The trinket's not going to be, you know, essential to the plot line, but it is a good way to distract the players into doing something else. And then, you know. Who knows how that interaction would play out. Maybe the players do win and get the guy some shoes anyway, and now they have an ally, right? But what you want to do when you're having this sort of break in your campaign is you want to steer away from making the rules of the minigame similar to mechanics that run in your game normally. Even though you are introducing a new plot line or a new... Distraction to the game that it's, you're not following the main plot line. This is this is an, a, a side quest, or it's a mini game, or it's you know something else. Try to introduce different mechanics that do not mirror or are not similar to other mechanics that you have. In your... If you're gonna have a mini game where you have to, uh, let's let's simulate a carnival game where you have to throw a ball into a specific sized hole in a board rolling to hit and using whatever modifier on your character sheet to accomplish those things it's no it's mechanically no different than just running combat but you're not actually combating anything that can be incredibly and it doesn't challenge the player in a different way than just challenging their character sheet in a game that's usually specifically run to have your characters accomplish what they're trying to do most of the time so you can set the difficulty bar really high and then they're just rolling attack rolls over and over and spending money or whatever the consequence may be to losing the game to either play again or just okay well that's over i guess i don't get the giant purple teddy bear or whatever the prize may be But spice it up with a different game mechanic that would challenge a different aspect of your character or your players. So something to consider is that if you're playing in person at a game table, something that I've done before that's really fun is to actually just completely put the dice away. You don't need to have your character sheets in front of you. The characters know who they are. So this can be an excuse for them to... Put everything down, not look at, not study their character sheet, not, you know, look at die values like they would normally do in their game, but play a different game. Play a different game that has consequences in your campaign setting. Something uh, that I've run in my games before is there was a, uh, I believe it's a one-page RPG that was out there called Fear. Fear. Uh, I I learned of this listening to the System Mastery podcast, which I I will shill again because there's no uh, there's no measure of gratitude that I that I could possibly give to those guys beyond the patronage that I do online. I I give them money every episode <laughs> because I really appreciate what they do for the gaming community, and also they're just two really funny guys, and they put out a lot of great content. But they reviewed this game where. Uh, the whole role-playing game centers around a judge and the players at the game setting up a Jenga tower. And so Jenga, the game where you, you know, you stack up the little blocks of wood and then you have to gently pull one block here or there and hope that the tower doesn't fall. And you stack you take a block from the middle and you put it on top. It's a regular old table game that normally is kind of fun. Most people might not look at you know, people that are in the role-playing community might not go like, I I would rather play D&D than play Jenga. Now you can kind of do both. So the way that this minigame would work or the way that fear is built is that you have a, uh, a tense plot line that's happening. And the DM or the judge arbitrates, uh, you know, basically how resolution happens when a player decides they want to do something and gives them a task. So they set up a scenario like let's go with uh you know the bandits that have stolen everything from your village, you finally caught up to them and now we're going to play another mini game about what to do with these bandits and the the outcome is not planned there is no like set adventure here it's just the most basic and simple back and forth role-playing between an arbitrator and a player or group of players you know a player would like to do something anything that's meaningful in the storyline or risky the arbitrator would say okay pull one block Or, pull two blocks if it's an exceptionally difficult thing to do. So that player pulls a block or two blocks and then has, in that one instance, made everything more dangerous for all the other people around him. And the, the point of fear is that once a tower falls on somebody, if they're pulling and your tower falls, you're dead. And everybody plays on the same Jenga tower, so... You reset up the tower again, and then, you know, tension has slightly reduced or dissolved because the tower isn't as shaky anymore for the rest of the players, but they resume play the same way, and the, the tower may not fall at all throughout, depending on the length of the of the minigame or the, uh, in the case of Fear, uh, the length of the game you guys want to play if... It can be a quick 30 minute story that everybody goes through where if the player pulls the brick, their idea or the the attempt that they were trying to do succeeds and then the DM furthers the plot line a little bit more and jumps from character to character to character. So that's an awesome way to integrate that into a minigame, into your, into your D&D campaign where, uh, you know, not in the sense of mini game, but a distraction, something to to pull them out of the humdrum role playing and dice rolling that they may be experiencing, and then putting something new and interesting in front of them that they might carry on to other, you know, aspects of their life, where they want to run a game for their family. That's a role play light game where you're not having to introduce concepts and uh, rules to people that are unfamiliar with them but actually just sitting down and doing role play in a really old-fashioned and fun way. So there's uh there's other things to get back into an actual like mini game style competition where you're using your as an actual person standing in for your character, your dexterity because shit happens just because the the person in your party is a uh, a super dex heavy acrobat and can throw a knife across a room and, you know, pop a balloon. Well, they can do that with their knives or things that they're familiar with. But a carnival game isn't built for people that have actual skills. It's built to thwart any sort of advantage a player would have because they're there to make money. They're there to (laughs) stop you from winning. So there's dirty tricks. There's things that the players can discover throughout their minigame that, you know, this this game is actively trying to screw me over. And you can simulate that by using your physical body as a player as a stand-in for your character, where maybe you do get lucky. Maybe uh, one of the things I was thinking of, um, uh, another resource that I would love to tell you guys about that helped me find fun ways to run mini games in my game, and to I I I would, uh, I would not publish these ever as my own, but I would run them in uh, in my campaign for sure with other players. Is look up the 200 word RPG challenge. This is something that's been going on at the recording of this podcast. I think since uh, from 2015 until. You know, I think they, they ran it until 2019. And then I, I don't know if I've seen much else. But you can actually just open, uh, just search for 200-word RPG challenge. Uh, many, many people submit these really short RPGs that have, you know, usually different mechanics. They use playing cards. They use uh, your own physical body as props for doing role-play challenges, and it's an awesome resource to find something unique to rob from. Even if you're not stealing the entire game, you're you're taking a mechanic that it is interesting and somebody has put a lot of thought into, and if you don't have a lot of time to plan or to figure these things out for yourself, it's a great way to find something new and unusual to use in your game. Uh, there's some that I was specifically turned on to by, again, by the System Mastery Podcast. Uh, because the two guys that run that podcast ended up being judges for one of the years that there were a lot of submissions. There were close to like 700 submissions when they did their, their judging. And a lot of the games that they chose to put forth to the rest of the committee were games that weren't, uh, roll a D20 for an attack and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was, um, uh, you know, one game that they talked about that they didn't actually read and judge was they, uh. Any player that's acting, and I think the, the, the point of the game was that you were escaping from a jail cell, but it was a dark, dank dungeon, you can't see anything, but you physically, as a player, light a match. And for as long as that match is lit, you can act, because you can see in the in the game. That would be the the excuse that like you're lighting a small match and that's your only light and you can only act in your cell while that match is lit and then once that match burns out or it gets too hot for your fingers you have to you know obviously shake it out as a as a player and that really limits your time in a very real way you don't get to metagame you don't get to think outside the, you know too much outside the box and there's a timer and there's a penalty you might actually burn your fingers which would totally suck But it's a super unique way to have a challenge and to arbitrate rules and work quickly through something that isn't die rolling. Uh, So back to the 200 word RPG challenge games that I was looking at. uh, One of them was uh, a game where I want to say it was called um, Muscle Marines. and. You, if you're sitting at a table with your friends, it's, it would be a phenomenal way to to run something. It's not for everybody, so it, it seems a bit... Um, the game seems a bit ableist, so you'd have to figure out a way to, to run this. And you'll see what I mean here in just a second. But uh, you pick the strongest person at the table, and that person is the... Uh, I want to say they called it the muscle master. So like the dungeon master, but it's the muscle master. And any any time that you want to do anything in the game where, you know, it'd be thematically worth something if you lost, you would have to arm wrestle the muscle mancer. Or not muscle mancer, the muscle master. Muscle mancer would be rad too. Uh, and so if you had some, if it was something that you had skill in or you thought that your character would be particularly good at you would wrestle with your dominant hand. And if it's something that your character wouldn't particularly be very good at or would just be mediocre at, you wrestle with your off hand, your non-dominant hand. And so now you have like, I have skill built up in a strong arm versus my dungeon master. The, the muscle master is being challenged constantly. So the more you're whittling him down, uh, while you get rests, you know, as play progresses, you're starting to get more and more successful actions, things like that. Um, and then if you lose your role, if you lose against the muscle master, you got to do push-ups. And if you can't finish your set of push-ups, whether that be whatever the DM arbitrates before you know, you could say like before we we do this this wrestle, you need to, do five push-ups if you lose. That's the consequence. And if you can't do the push-ups, the game describes it as you wash out. You're done. You're done with the competition. You're you're over. Like you can't you can't continue to compete. So though it's ableist, it's an interesting rule set where you don't necessarily have to do anything besides. You know, use your body, use your imagination and have some fun with people. And it's a big, you know, that could be a big laugh riot for sure. Uh, You know, other things, it could be uh, another game example. Could be something as simple as getting some cheap foam dart guns. Like, you know, the kind of shit that you get as like a stocking stuffer for Christmas or something like that. And having, you know, targets set up around the room for your players to shoot at. doesn't necessarily have to be in the context of a minigame like you would have at like a carnival or you know anything like that. You could actually be running role play challenges where you're setting up easy targets where the the <laughs> the, 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 the cup or can you have to knock over is like you know right in the middle of the table in front of everybody. But there's still a chance to fail. Those darts don't fly straight. It's up to chance. It's up to a little bit of skill. It's up to, you know... It can feel really good when you knock that thing over and get what you want rather than depending on a really random die roll that has been modified heavily by your character sheet. It could be something where... You know, your character has a chance to do things that normally would be very unlikely for them to do because it's, you know, mechanically or mathematically very difficult for the character to do it on their character sheet. But you could definitely arm wrestle your DM if you're stronger than them and or do some pushups and move on with the game. So, uh you know, going over different types of games you could do or ideas that you can have. Uh, something that is also kind of important in my mind too, when I would run minigames in my setting uh, is that the there has to be some sort of reward for doing the challenges. Something to keep the players interested and, you know, to, to add just that little bit of in-game tension for, ooh, I want that. Or, um, I don't want another player to get it. It's something that I want for my player or to hold over that player's head later or something that I can use, you know, thematically later in in the game. So something to consider is that, uh, you probably don't want to give out items that are like game breaking. So you don't want to hand out a deck of many things, uh, or, you know, armor that has like plus attribute bonuses on it or... Uh, You know, things like that, because it's, uh, first of all, depending on how you're running this, you know, mini game scenario, the person giving out the rewards, it would have to make sense that they'd be willing to give out the reward. You know, if this is a a friendly competition where the players aren't risking anything by entering a contest, there has to be a reason for the contest. So think about that. Back to Willow. The wizard has this uh, fun... Contest to see if, uh, you know, what people in his town can do the best magic tricks. And then decides, you know, to ask them a final question and figure out uh, which finger the, holds the power of the universe. And if they answer correctly, which is their own finger, uh, then they become the wizard's apprentice. And that's, you know, a reason to have the competition. That's a cool um, reward for it. You know, it gives the player access to something they wouldn't normally have. And it's not game breaking. Uh, but as far as like physical rewards go, you know, make it a fun game mechanic that you can use later on. Something that the players can pull out of their purse and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like when we, I got that thing, like maybe that'll help us. You know, uh, it could be something that would be uh, a total gag gift or like a booby prize in some way, but ends up being really useful later on. That's how that kind of works thematically in, uh, in movies and things like that, where, you know, man, I'm going to go right back to Willow. (laughs) And I don't know why I have not watched Willow in a very long time, (laughs) but it's hitting all the notes here. Uh, when the wizard gives Willow These acorns that whatever he throws them at turns, turns to stone. That's a super powerful thing. But the things that Willow ends up doing with it are, you know, they're not immediate. They're not, he doesn't think to use them to solve the movie right away. You know, whenever there's danger, he doesn't immediately throw an acorn. But every now and then it's like, I have nothing else on me that can that can help and then he like you see the dawning of realization on his face that oh yeah i have these acorns that turn things to stone and uh uh oops i dropped like one of them and now i'm standing on a really <laughs> rickety bridge that has like one panel on it that's made out of stone that could easily break you know and that so in that movie in that, in that circumstance hopefully you've seen it if you've I'll describe it a little bit, but man, go watch Willow, uh, Steven Spielberg's fantasy movie. I think it's fantastic. Anyway, so Willow reaches in, he's on a, he's on a rickety wooden bridge and there's a troll about to attack him. And he's thinking, I'm going to throw an acorn at this troll and turn it to stone. Unfortunately, he reaches in his pocket. The bridge rocks a little bit and he drops the acorn and it turns one of the wooden, uh, planks on the rope bridge to stone instead and willow backs up and now you've got a situation where that reward that thing wasn't using it in the intended way it wasn't you know uh he didn't just solve the problem by throwing an acorn at something but he kind of created a trap where the troll walking across the bridge steps on the stone plank and it's you know it's not as flexible as wood it just breaks immediately and the troll falls through and Yeah, but anyway, (laughs) and then he almost he he almost kills the big bad evil guy at the end of the movie with with the uh, the acorn. He almost turns her to stone. Luckily, Batmorda's fucking magic was a little bit too strong and and reversed it, but gave Willow enough time to come up with a plan for later. So, you know, obviously things that are it's not a game breaking thing. You want your rewards to kind of mirror that idea set that it's it's it could be something that that grants you a small boon or power, but you want it to be something that is temporary. You know, it's it's a prize from a vending machine. It's cool for a second, but it might break or it might only do something that is funny. (laughs) So you know it could be you know maybe there's a a blacksmith in town and he made this incredibly unique piece of armor and it's you know at that point it's just bragging rights between the party that like there's a uh you know a, a maybe it's a, a a bracer of some kind that doesn't you know really add to your armor class but it's super cool and it's eye catching and it's uh it's a, it's a, it's a talking piece for NPCs to maybe notice later, like, wow, what are you doing wearing that? Um, so again, just, it's a thematic thing that you can use for later. Uh, it could be something that's, uh, like I imagine like Willow's acorns, like maybe it's a party popper and until you pop it, like, you know, those party poppers that, you might have have used it like a you know a New Year's party or something like that where you pull the string on both sides and then the thing explodes and there's confetti inside or there's uh, a piece of candy or something like that. You know maybe you have a party popper that when you pop it there's a d six random chart that you're gonna roll on, and you can let the party know that like right away you know once they get the prize that this is I'm not gonna tell you what the effects are but when you when this thing goes off there's a list of random effects that could take place. Could be a D20 list, could be a D100 list. Doesn't matter. That that would be a super cool thing to do where you have like a super temporary thing that you pop that party popper and you turn into a displacer beast for a second. And maybe it's like literally a round or an owlbear. (laughs) You assume an owlbear shape for a round. You know, depending on how fantastical your setting is you know a wizard did it so it's it's cool it'll it'll do something for a second but it's not game changing uh you know maybe it's uh the ring the the prize is actually it's a booby prize like it is it's something bad where it's a ring that when you put it on casts uh like i can't remember what the spell is called like the like a tasha's hideous laughter where you're whoever's wearing the ring can't stop laughing or, uh, or that, uh, I forget that spell. It was like a a spell that made you dance, you know, where you could use the ring to get out of trouble later in some way where you, uh, you know, trade it to some, you know, guard when you're in jail and now they can't stop dancing or (laughs) and you have time to draw them forward and pull you know the 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 ring of keys off their belt and they can't do anything about it because they can't stop dancing until you you know leave the ring on them which means you've lost the prize but it's gotten you out of trouble or maybe you try to snatch the ring out and you know knock them out or run away or you know whatever but it's it's something that would be hard to just affect the game with, but could be super useful. Uh, Another item that I was thinking about uh, using in one of my games was maybe, you know, maybe these games, all the prizes for, uh, you know, what's going on in them. I'm going to back up just a second. One of the characters in my setting is uh, is a mad wizard, which is like super unique. I know that's not in any anybody else's game but uh he's a mad wizard uh and he runs a like a second hand trinket shop and the trinkets are all bullshit like it's all you know crap but some of it is actually powerful and he can't distinguish you know he takes everything at face value and and feels that every everything in his shop is incredibly powerful even though some of it is you know party poppers or it's you know those sort of things where it's uh, or broken or damaged magical items that you know a wand of magic missiles that uh, has a big crack in it so every you know every missile that comes out of it takes a point of durability away from the wand and it might break or um, you know stuff like that. but anyway so what he he might have as a prize for doing something is this, but what he thinks is is fantastic. it's a it's a pair of magical boots. Unfortunately, the boots have independent magical enchantments on each boot. So one boot would be a boot of striding, which makes your character move um, quickly. I think it's like double movement or something like that. And the other boot would be like a boot of silence. So while walking on that foot, your steps are muffled and they're silent. So how cool would it be? Like, you have this, what normally would be an incredibly powerful magical item if they were both, you know, if it was a matched set of either one of those powers would be incredible. But you have to use them while you're hopping on one foot. So if you want to hop, if you want to go faster than usual, you're not going to go double speed if you're using the Boots of Striding on one foot because you know, you're hopping on one foot rather than running, but maybe you, it gives you an extra few squares of movement. Uh, and you have to do some sort of, uh, you know, dexterity or acrobatics check while using that either side, because you're hopping on one foot, you're doing something way more difficult than just walking or running. And same thing with the silence side. Like you have to hop on one foot in order to move, you know, deadly silent. But how fun is that? That, like, thematically your character has to literally hop on one foot to be quiet and is constantly making dexterity checks every round to make sure they don't, like a bull in the china shop, like, run right into the whole cabinet full of crockery (laughs) and have it explode. Well... That's been another exciting episode of the Lords of Gobtown podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me about any questions, comments, or suggestions you have, you are completely welcome to do so by email at lordsofgobtown at gmail.com. That's G-O-B-T-O-W-N. Our intro and outro music is produced by friend of the show, Scott Williamson. And no animals were hurt during the production of this podcast, so you can always feel good about that. Please take care out there and have a fruitful week.